Welcome to another episode of the Life Plus God podcast. My name is Alyssa Robinson, and back by popular demand is my mother, Denise Robinson. Hey, everybody. <laughs> Glad to be here. I hope that y'all all had an amazing Christmas and a fun, uh, eventful New Year's Eve. And we are in the new year together. And I think that it's tempting after Christmas for us to have the attitude of, well, that was fun. Um, and then we just kind of move on with life. It's so easy because as we're going to the new year, we have New Year's resolutions that we're trying. We get very self-focused and maybe all of the the things that we were learning during Advent where it ends at Christmas. And so today, the question we're asking is, how does love continue after Christmas? Well, and I think one of the things is true to your point is it can be anticlimactic is we've built up all this energy during Advent and it's beautiful and happy and then the lights come down, the tree comes down, the house looks empty. The, you know, maybe it wasn't quite up to your expectations, but I want you to know that there's still a lot to learn about Christmas afterwards. So now Mary and Joseph have this baby <laughs> and it's just the very beginning of their journey as it is the beginning of ours. What do we know about the events following Jesus's birth in the Christmas story? So, you know, it's it's interesting. Some of my favorite stories are the ones that take place after Jesus's birth. You know, we've already spent time talking about the shepherds and and Mary and Joseph finding out and all of that. We spent a lot of time talking about that. But after Christmas, what happens after Jesus's birth is Joseph and Mary followed all of the customs and expectations of any Jewish family. So on the eighth day, they had the naming ceremony and circumcision of Jesus, which is called, nowadays we have a name for it, a bris. Mm-hmm. And then that they just put it in according to the law is what scripture tells us. And then they have this wonderful story in the book of Luke, which I love, and we never spend time focusing on it. Some of you may not have even ever heard it. And it's in Luke chapter two, verses 22 through 38. It tells us the story of Jesus's first trip after his birth. And that first trip was from Bethlehem to Jerusalem. Today, we call Bethlehem a suburb of Jerusalem, but they were on foot, and so it was a journey to Jerusalem because they were going there. If you were to, if you were to look at the Metroplex, like what, what would, in modern terms, be the distance between Bethlehem and Jerusalem? You know, I haven't looked up the mileage, but I would say Carrollton to Dallas. Yeah. Okay. Would be my 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 just rough estimate. Well, because you've been there, so yeah, yeah. you've you've done yeah. that journey. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, it's a walk. It's not a. I mean, it's a it's a a long long walk, but it's not lots of miles. And I didn't look that up, so don't <laughs> don't quote me on that. Oh, it's just like Carrollton to Dallas. Don't quote that. But anyway, they head to Jerusalem to fulfill all of the requirements of the Mosaic Law. That included ritual cleansing of the birth mother. That included dedication of the firstborn, which included sacrifices. And it, the Bible tells us that their sacrifices were a, either a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. We don't know which, but that was the sacrifice of— Is that why turtle doves are connected to Christmas? 
You know what? We'd have to look up and see, but I'm sure it is. In With the, the, 12 the song, days of The Twelve Christmas? Days of Christmas, has a lot of meaning. I mean, two, tur- two turtle doves sounds two better than two pigeons. <laughs> yeah, yeah, two turtle doves. Yep, that's exactly right. And so, when they go to the temple to do all of this, they meet two incredible people that I personally think should be a part of every Christmas celebration, and that's a guy named Simeon. And a woman named Anna. Have you heard much about them? I've heard the names, but I can't recall the story whatsoever. Like if you had asked me who are Simeon and Anna in the Bible, I probably would have assumed the Old Testament because I don't I don't know much. Yeah. They're actually my favorite part of the Christmas story. So Simeon was in Jerusalem. And let's be honest, he may have heard rumors about this experience these shepherds had. He may have heard rumors of what John and Elizabeth were, not John, um, Zachariah and Elizabeth were sharing about their son, John. And, you know, so he may have heard rumors, but he was in the temple and he had a promise from God that the Holy Spirit revealed to him. And that was that he wouldn't die until he saw the Messiah Face to face. Was that something that he had been told like much earlier? It doesn't tell us. It just says it was a revelation from the Holy Spirit, which tells us a lot about Simeon. Mm -hmm. It means he paid attention to those God nudges. And I get those God nudges now and then. I call it my conscience or a gut feeling, and I don't always follow them. Mm -hmm. But Simeon was quite clear that he would not die until he saw the Messiah. And when Simeon saw the baby Jesus, he knew. And he took the baby Jesus in his arms, and he just praised God. So first of all, what was Mary and Joseph's reaction to this man coming up and taking their baby? They'd already had some pretty unusual things happen. And I don't, it doesn't indicate that they were fearful. Nowadays, we would be fearful of that. Well, I would guess, you know, Mary and Joseph were probably, they probably at this point had an inline to the Holy Spirit as well. Like they had started paying attention uh, after everything that's happened. And so maybe they were, they felt it too. And, and that's an interaction that Luke doesn't seem important enough to say, well, this is how Mary felt. That's one of the things that I wish, (laughs) like oftentimes in the stories of Jesus or, well, In a lot of the stories, it's more like, and then this happened, and then this happened, and it's all about what's happening. But I want to hear about the emotions that are happening and what people are feeling. And I want to hear like the story, the narrative uh, from different perspectives. I wish we had that, but it's kind of fun that it's left to the imagination. Yeah, I mean, all these years later, basically what Luke wanted to do is get the story out. Yeah. And if we focus too much on other things, then. He, he wasn't thinking he was writing a biography at that point. So anyway, he, basically, Simeon said, now God, he's speaking to God, now God, let your servant go in peace as you promised, because I have seen the Messiah. This is a baby, and he's holding him in his arms, and that's what he says. That's pretty incredible to me that he knew. He knew. And where is Anna part of the story? She comes in next. Okay. And um, Simeon um, said something pretty powerful after that. He said um, 
this salvation that you, God, have provided is a light to the Gentiles and to the people of Israel. That's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. So right there from the very beginning, when Jesus was an infant, there was a prophecy that this was for everybody, not just Israel. Because guess who Israel thought the Messiah was coming for? Mm -hmm. And so to me, that's really powerful that right away, there's this story about recognizing Jesus and then saying, hey, Jesus came for everybody. I think that's love. Mm -hmm. I think that's love. Huge love. Basically. He goes on to say some things that may have been hard to hear, which was um, there's going to be opposition. And he said to Mary, you know what? This is going to be hard. This is going to be hard. Of course, I'm paraphrasing. But yeah. And so what a moment, though, that they had to hold onto. Very cool. In my own spiritual journey, I've thought about this often because I firmly believe that Jesus loves everybody regardless. And so it was really powerful for me for that story. And then Anna comes in. Anna's a prophetess. She was 84 years old. Wait, are Simeon and Anna connected in any no, they way? No, don't, they don't necessarily see, even know each other. Oh, okay. They when may you have say, known each other, but... When you said Simeon... See, this is how little I know of the story. When you said Simeon and Anna, I assumed spouses or something. Like, they are connected to each other nope. in some way. Two but separate stories. But these are stories. two separate stories. Okay. Yeah. So... Anna is listed in scripture as a prophetess. Why do I love that? Because this is a woman in the Bible (laughs) that has a title. Y'all thought we weren't going to bring up (laughs) feminism today, but you were wrong. (laughs) A woman in the Bible with a title that is not Uh, always applied to women. A high spiritual leader, I guess, would be a prophetess. She's 84 years old, which I also love because that means she wasn't just idol. She was still following her faith and she was a widow. So I tell you what, this woman served God with total devotion. And part of the other reason that I love Anna so much is she reminds me of my mom. My mom served God with total devotion until the day she died. And that's just in different ways, in different ways, but she never never wavered in her faith. And so having to having the opportunity to experience that kind of faith in my own family and then read about Anna is really powerful to me. So yeah. Um, so Anna spent her time in the temple fasting and in prayer. And on this day, when she met Jesus, she recognized him as the hope for the future. So the hope for the future, future, and then she praised God, and then she, it says, and then she shared Jesus with everyone. So she talked about it afterwards, just like the shepherd did. So Anna is a remarkable woman when you read between the lines. This is a woman as a widow that had experienced pain and loss. This is a woman that had not become bitter because of that. And as an elderly woman, she had not lost hope. And that's really cool to me. She's an example to all of us, I think. Mm -hmm. So that's why I love the story of Anna 
and Simeon. Why do you think that we talk about it so little? Because it happened after the birth, I guess. That's kind of what I said at the beginning of yeah. like, well, that was fun. Let's yeah. move on to yeah. Jesus's, Jesus stepping into ministry. And of course, the shepherds are so dramatic, such a dramatic story. And this is a simple story. But to me, there's beauty in the simple stories. Well, because it's more... Um, Relatable. Yeah. It, it's something that we could see today. Like you said, thinking of Anna and seeing the similarities between her and, and your mom, my grandmother, you know, everybody has that person and mm-hmm. they can see um, Anna in that person or they can see Simeon in that person. And isn't that, you know, I can speak for Anna, isn't that who we aspire to be? Somebody that with all the hardness of life, and we know there's ups and downs, that we still have hope and love for others. Yeah. And, and I like to think of Anna as a feisty lady, which grandmommy was too. She <laughs> was. Like, very she was. sweet and kind and loving. But also, if you're a prophetess at 84 years old and you've developed respect in, the, in a, an extreme patriarchal society, you you got to be pretty strong-willed, I would think. So do you have a new favorite? <laughs> <laughs> I think you sold me. You might have sold me. Well, okay. So go ahead. No, you go ahead. I was just going to say <laughs> the next thing that happens, it's a big event that everybody is familiar with, is the wise men's visit. Okay. That was actually going to be my next question. So you kind of segued me yeah. into that because... Uh, we, I think a lot of us have heard the word epiphany. Mm-hmm. Of course, there's the the secular meaning of epiphany, but then there's like the spiritual uh, time of epiphany. Um, what is it? Like, what is it that we're at? Because I don't know if we do a, a great job of recognizing epiphany in our faith tradition either. So yeah, epiphany is the day Christians remember the coming of the wise men or magi. Both names are appropriate. Three kings is not, by the way. So call them wise men or or magi. And it's the day, Epiphany is the day we remember their visit to Jesus, where they brought their gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And it occurs, we celebrate that on January 6th of every year. See, I thought Epiphany was like a time frame. No, it's one day that we celebrate January 6th, which is... The 13th day of Christmas. You know that old song, The 12 Days of Christmas. So January 6th is the 13th day. So the 12 days of Christmas are referring to the days after Christmas, not the days days leading leading up up to. to. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, by the way, did you know when the wise men came to visit Jesus? I, well, being your daughter, I, (laughs) you are really big on Christmas trivia. And so I believe... Jesus was a toddler, right? Like yeah. he would have been two or three years old when yeah. the Magi made their way to Jesus. We believe that it was somewhere two year in the two-year time frame. Why do we believe that? Why do theologians believe that? Because Herod chose to kill all two and unders. So Jesus would have been in the two and under age group. Um, and, they, and they visited Jesus in a house, not in a stable not laying in a manger. He was in a house. And so anyway, back to Epiphany. Was it in, did they go to Jerusalem? 
No, was it was it, Bethlehem. They it was, had settled so in they Bethlehem. Had, so they went from Bethlehem to Jerusalem to do just all for a day of trip. The, yeah, to do all of their their uh, traditions, and then went back to Bethlehem to live. Yeah, and it and we can only assume they chose to settle there, mm. and and that's all we can assume. So the word epiphany comes from a Greek word that I can't say, and I'm not going to even try. So you'll have to have Daniel on and ask that question. But it means appearance or manifestation. So that's why the appearance of the wise men. And that's why epiphany. Now, one of the cool things is different traditions, different Christian traditions surrounding epiphany. There's some really cool ones, particularly in different cultures and in um, and in Orthodox religions that do make a very big deal about Epiphany. There's some Hispanic traditions that are really incredible, and I know I've read some Orthodox traditions that are really cool too. And and so we recognize Epiphany, but we don't make it. We talk about it, but we don't elevate it to to traditions surrounding it that others do. But I encourage people to find out where there is a celebration of Epiphany and go enjoy it. Go enjoy it. What does it mean? Because we often talk about love came down to earth when Jesus was born, that Jesus is God with us. What does it mean that love came down to earth? Because sometimes I I think, was love not here before? Were we uh, just a world without love before Jesus came? So you asked me, you told me you were going to ask this question. So I did a little, you know, my favorite research on Google. (laughs) I did a little Google research. And this term, love came down to earth on Christmas, is actually from a poem written in the 1800s by Christina Rosetta, and then it became a hymn. It's something that she put into words, and she based it on 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 11, that says, Dear friends, let us love each other, because love is from God, and everyone who loves is born from God and knows God. The person who doesn't love does not know God, because God is love. And this is how God revealed his love to us. He sent his only son as the sacrifice that deals with our sins. So that's where the term came from. Um, it's She took that verse and then made it a poem, and it's now a hymn. And that's where we—and now everyone uses it. The, hey, I even found a book called Love Came Down at Christmas. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's it. I think that um, it's about God's— gift of Jesus to us is that of love. Um, Dr. Hahn, who's a professor of sacred music at Perkins, which I'm guessing Karen may know him, um, said this, this poem is the perfect antidote for those who find themselves recovering from the stress of the Christmas season. The stress of the Christmas season is Includes materialism, extensive shopping, travel, and multiple gatherings of family and friends. In short, everything except for a moment to reflect on the gift of love. So basically what he was saying is take time to reflect on love as you're coming down from Christmas. To reflect on what Christmas really was about Mm -hmm. and this gift of love. 
So that may not have answered your question, but it's what I found. Um, and I agree with you. Love existed before. Well, just and that God verse, existed before. Yeah, just that verse saying God is love yeah. means that love has always been here, mm-hmm. right? But in you know, if if your belief is that Jesus is God, then after Jesus' birth, God was physically present with us on earth. Did it change God's love in any way? Like, was uh, is God's love different after Jesus was born than what we had experienced of God's love? I think God's love is the same and always was the same. I will admit I read... Um, the Bible differently than some, but so I don't see a different God in the Old and the New Testament. I I think God's love is shown in many many ways throughout our scriptures. But with the birth of Jesus, God said, "You know what? I'm going to take one more step. I'm going to move into the neighborhood. I'm going to live among you." And so, and Jesus didn't just come as a man. Jesus experienced everything that we experience in growing up and in working a job and in then becoming the minister he was. So he lived among us. Yeah. I we we've had this conversation before on the podcast and some sometimes I Yes, I agree. Uh, Jesus lived among the people 2,000 years ago. So to say that Jesus has experienced everything that I've experienced, some I'd like to push back on that because I don't know if Jesus has experienced the inundating of social media and constant 24-hour news cycle and the connectedness of the entire world and being able... Because like he was still, at the time, contained. And I guess it depends on... like what you believe about what Jesus knew and how, you know, uh, what did he have the un- omnipotence, the omnipresence that God had as he was human, or was it just like his little corner of the world that he saw? He, he experienced human nature. And the truth is, human nature hasn't changed all that much, even though the tools around us have. Hmm. I mean... There, the slander and libel and and all of that that happens through social media was happening then, just in smaller areas. Yeah. <laughs> I just wonder if anxiety and depression were at the same level as they are now, and if that's something we won't know. But my guess is, like, we are holding in our hands anxiety machines twenty four hours a right. day, you know, and so I, I. But the, I'm going off on a tangent yeah, here. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. That's right. And but I do think, um, I do think that's what we have to remember that that Jesus experienced human nature, mm-hmm. and and understood challenges and understood inner thoughts mm-hmm. and understood all of that by being around people. Well, what did we? learn about love in the Christmas story throughout. And you can go before Jesus was born too. I'm not limiting you to only events after Jesus's birth, but what did we learn about love in the Christmas story that sets the stage for Jesus's ministry? You know, my reaction to that is that, um, 
God told us through the Christmas story, it's not going to be the way you think it should be. It's going to be different. And love's going to be different. Love's going to look different. Everything's not going to be your preconceived notions of how it should be. First of all, a Messiah was born to a normal family, brought into the world to the normal family that didn't live in a palace, that didn't have everything at their fingertips. The first people to visit this Jesus were shepherds. Shepherds were not a group of people that were high on the social order. <laughs> In fact, they were the lowest of the low. They didn't smell so good. They they got to get out of, because they were watching the flocks, they were given permission not to have to follow all the rules for Judaism. That kind of made people annoyed because they got a pass. And so they weren't liked. So already things happened. The wise men were not even Jews and came to visit Jesus. So I think what God was telling us in the Christmas story is love is going to look different and you're going to be surprised. And I think God is still telling us that today. Love looks different. It's not the way you think it's going to be. I think it's love is uncomfortable. Love is uncomfortable. <laughs> That's a great be, way to put be it. Be ready to for discomfort. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. how you are called to love people. Yeah. And, and personally, uh, in my own personal faith journey, that's where I have grown the most mm-hmm. is in how I love and who I love. And why I love. Well, and I, I wonder, I don't, this is a, you know, hyperbolic statement, but um, if love feels safe, it might, you might not be doing it right. That's <laughs> like, right. If, That's right. If every aspect of love in your life feels like safety and security and comfort, then we are not stepping up to the love that, uh, God set as an example with this Christmas story. And it's interesting because even in our own families, love is messy, right? I mean, we go through times with our own families where we're angry or upset or hurt or joyful or, you know, we go through it. We experience all of those emotions, but it's our family. So we stick with it. And then we think, I'll just stay here. And we don't do what, what, God was trying to impress upon us, which is do things different, do things different. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think uh, God flipped love on its head a little bit because uh, not only who was chosen to be a part of this story, but who Jesus actually is. Because one of the things when we were preparing for this episode, you said, you know, uh, our Lord and Savior was a refugee. And mm-hmm. that's all you need to know about who God uses and who God loves and cares for. Um, and you had a lot of strong thoughts around that. Yeah, I mean, we, to... we didn't talk about this, but after the wise men's visit, so Herod was very involved. He The wise men had stopped in Jerusalem to ask for directions <laughs> to where this Jesus, this king of the Jews was, and Herod got wind of it. And so he called the wise men in for an audience with him. And he said, hey, I am just as passionate about finding 
this king, I want to come and worship him. And come when you find him, come and tell me. And and his own chief scribes and um, legal experts guided them by scripture and said, hey, in the book of Micah, it says he'll be born in, in Bethlehem. Try there. And so, but the wise men were wise <laughs> and they knew that Herod didn't had ulterior motives. And of course, Herod did not want somebody. He was afraid that his throne would be at risk. Mm-hmm. And so in the middle of the night, after the wise men left, they didn't go back to Herod. They went a different way. They didn't even go back through Jerusalem. They went a different way home because they had an icky feeling. My words, not the Bibles. And in the middle of the night, Joseph, who we have several stories of Joseph hearing God through dreams. Joseph has a dream that he's supposed to get up right then, gather his family, and leave Israel and head to Egypt. So in the middle of the night, and it says they left immediately. So in the middle of the night, they left and went to Egypt. They couldn't have, they didn't have time to prepare, to pack a lot. They were refugees. Now, there was a Jewish community in Egypt, and so they would have found a Jewish community, but that's not unlike refugees in our own country. Refugees in our own country find a community of people that understand their plight and their situation. But they're still displaced. But they're still not in their home. And they still had to make a journey because they were threatened. So we've learned that love is not what you thought it would be. It's unexpected. It's uncomfortable. I think that, you know, in the Simeon story saying to Mary, you're going to face a lot of opposition, uh, tells us that uh, love is... Sometimes love is painful. Mm -hmm. Sometimes uh, it can even be dangerous loving people. Um, And man, that's one of the things that I really struggle with. And I know like King Herod's decisions are his own, but hearing the story of King Herod murdering, you know, thousands of babies to find Jesus is just like, it's not, it's not a, a beautiful cherry on top of the Christmas story. It, and, it's terrifying. And I'm going to correct you a little bit. Um, Bethlehem was a small community, so it wouldn't have been thousands. Oh, he only, I thought it was across the entire no, land King no, Herod was. No, it's still horrific. Yeah. But it would have been dozens. Okay. Well, um, and, you know, it's awful. It is awful. And anyway, to you think, look at like, it. how many, before, I mean, Jesus is even anywhere near stepping into ministry. People are dying because of him. Like that's a really tough pill to it's swallow. It's a tough pill to swallow. And it, I'm just like, why? Why is all this needed? And like, I'm not saying that was part of God's plan because I don't, I don't believe in that. I think that King Herod, Herod wasn't acting from yeah. instructions from God. No, and <laughs> there, there is evil, but ugh, I just. I guess it's important that we know that aspect of the story because we can't look at the story and, and think it's all flowers and rainbows, but um, it's it's tough to read. I mean, have you ever 
um, we we forget sometimes, um, and and there's probably listeners that have experienced this for the but for the most most of our listeners have never experienced having to leave in the middle of the night, yeah, for safety, hmm. for safety reasons. That's terrifying. Most of us won't even step into areas to show love that we think might put ourselves at a little bit of risk. Well, that's what I'll, you know, I'll share. Yesterday, I was driving home from work and I exited on the highway. And this is the first time I've seen this in a really long time. Um, a guy was pulled over as an SUV on the side of the road, had his uh, hazard lights on and was trying to wave down a car. And I drove by just like the 20 other cars that were with me that just drove by this guy. And I immediately felt like this heat on the back of my neck of like, you're, you're the person who passed up the good Samaritan, you know, or you're the person who passed up, um, the, the hurt. You were not the good Samaritan. I'm getting the story all backwards. I was not the good Samaritan. I'm the person who passed it by, but I also have all of these thoughts in my head of like, okay, what? Like we are, I'm a single woman by myself, I don't know this person. This is a grown man who could hurt me who, and I have my dogs in the car and I like, we're in the age of cell phones. Why isn't he calling somebody instead of, and so all of these rad red flags go up in my head. And so I've been told as a woman my entire life, like, don't stop, don't stop. Like you are not, someone else will help this person, but that goes against Jesus's teachings. And so I get so conflicted about it. So I don't want to, um, I don't know where I'm going with but this. Maybe but maybe there's ways that you could have loved. Like you do have a cell phone. You don't know what his story is, but you could have called 911 and said, there's a guy stuck on the side of the road. Here's their location. I don't know if it's an emergency or not, but he's trying to weigh down people. Yeah, I didn't even think of doing that. So, <laughs> but so there, and that those are things we learn because, yeah. you know, it's the same thing we've learned with our blessing bags. We might not feel totally comfortable in certain areas, but we can reach our arm out with a blessing bag of the car and give something to somebody that's in need. And that's a way of loving. Mm -hmm. So there are, so yeah, and I can justify, I'm great at justification, but in the heat of the moment, we might not remember that, but I bet you'll remember that from now on, Mm -hmm. that if that same thing happens, maybe you'll pull over and make a phone call yourself. Yeah. Well, okay. So we, I asked about the Christmas story, what do we learn about love that sets the stage for Jesus's ministry? But I, I want to talk about that gap in the story. Why do we know so little about Jesus's childhood? Because it feels like we jump. For some reason, we jump from baby to 12 years old to full on 33 year old adult. Like not even, I mean, I would have loved to known about Jesus in his 20s. Like just give me something. Like, do you have any information on why we have so little information? And there are um, bits and pieces out there that aren't in our scriptures. Um, the There's some... some um, I call them the other gospels that that didn't get canonized. And they might have little snippets here and there, but some of it seems as much uh, 
stories, tradition, um, fables almost, you know, or it might be true. We don't really know. But I can only come up with my own theory. And my own theory is that the gospel writers only wanted to get the most important thing out. And that was Jesus's ministry. Hey, only two of the gospel writers even told us about Jesus's birth. And that was Matthew and Luke. The others didn't even, Mark and John didn't even mention it. Didn't mention it. So do all they, of them mention that time when he was 12 years old? No. Which one? We have it in Luke. Just in Luke? Yeah, we have it in Luke. And so, and by the way, Luke, we don't know for sure, but Luke may have gotten some of his information from Mary. So maybe she shared, oh, and I remember. Mm -hmm. This was pretty cool. And so that, so, you know, um, I think that if we had all of that, we might be focusing on the wrong thing. We see it with celebrities all the time, don't we? We hear something in their story and we focus on that, but that's not really what the important thing is. What we need to focus on is the important thing. And so I, that's what my theory is. My yeah. theory is that they wanted to, when they wrote it down, they weren't trying to write a biography. They were trying to get the word out about Jesus. Yeah, I always wonder about it because I'm like, what was teenage Jesus like? What was, like I said, Jesus in his 20s? Because I feel like if we knew some of that, and I understand like you don't want to have mixed messaging and, you know, it to get diluted, but I think it could really help us understand the humanity of Jesus because I know my humanity was on full display in my teens and 20s, still is, but, you know, I was a little bit more... Uh, edgy at those times oh, and no, I wonder you were about the perfect child we never had any struggles well with and you. that's what, that's what I <laughs> I wonder about is like is there something that we could have seen in Jesus that we could have related to earlier in life well and all we can do I mean I think you said it well you said you know I still might be a little bit this way I there is no doubt that Jesus challenged the status quo there's no doubt. I mean, he started doing that at 12 years old. Mm -hmm. He challenged the status quo. What we do know or can assume, let me say this, what we can assume is that Jesus' life during his childhood and teenage years was very similar to all other Jewish boys that had their bar mitzvah, that had their time with rabbis, that learned scriptures, that had their daily life. We know we can piece together what daily life was like, but we can't insert Jesus into it. And then on day 12, he did this. And day 15, he did this. But I can't help but think, to use your word, he may have been a little edgy too. That doesn't mean he was ugly and rude and horrible, but it does mean that he probably made people think, huh, I what were you raised that. in a barn? <laughs> <laughs> yes, actually. Yeah. Um, okay. So how do we keep the spirit of Christmas alive after the presents are unwrapped, the decorations are taken down, we are trying to move on with our lives and step into the new year? How, how do we keep it going? So first of all, I want to say I love Christmas, and I love going overboard. Even when 
finances were tight in our family, I bought Christmas presents 12 months out of the year just so I could go overboard. And I love that. But if Christmas is all about getting, then we've missed the whole point because it really is about sharing love. And I love some of the way some family traditions, it's not ours, but I love some family traditions that said, we're going to give three gifts. We're going to get in honor of the wise men, or we're going to, you know, I I think there's ways to make sure that uh, we keep, I don't want to say any trite little phrases that, that people use anymore, but that we remember what Christmas is about and that there's, there's, ways to celebrate it that'll help us to remember. But how does that help us after Christmas is over? So I think that we need, just like we talk about at Easter, we talk about being Easter people. We can, it's okay to continue what we learn at Christmas every single day. People are a little more generous at Christmas they want to help somebody. Our at at our own church, uh, there are opportunities to serve. They're left and right during the Christmas season, and people are like, "I want to help somebody. I want to." Well, what about a different day? What about doing that in January, and then February, and then March? Mm-hmm. You know, find ways to share God's love all the time, not just because it's Christmas and you're feeling a little more generous because it's happy. And it does feel like during the Advent and Christmas season, people are clamoring for ways to serve, ways to volunteer. How can I help? And then for the other, you know, 10 and a half months out of the year, it's crickets of like trying to get people to, to serve and, I don't know how we keep that attitude of Christmas and of generosity going throughout the year because it is exhausting. Like, I understand. I'm not saying, uh, I'm not trying to shame anyone for saying, why do you only, you know, do God's work at Christmas time and not any other time of year? Because I'm guilty of it too. Like, to be um, that involved is really tiring. And, at Christmas time, we tend to make it over the top. Mm. So why don't we make it an everyday spiritual practice that's not quite so over the top where, oh, you know what? There's someone in my neighborhood I don't even know yet. Let me go over and meet them and find out their story and see if there's anything I can do. Yesterday, somebody, we, or Tuesday, whatever day it was, we forgot to um, put our trash bag trash cans back. It was trash day. And we forgot to put our trash cans back. Somebody in our neighborhood did it for us. I don't know who it was, but you know what? That was love. And they didn't leave like a nasty note. They didn't leave a nasty note. (laughs) They just put it back for us. They saw that we had left it out. There wasn't any ugliness. Mm. And that was beautiful. That was beautiful. And we don't know who it was, but I guarantee the next time somebody leaves their trash cans out, we'll return the favor. And put it back. So there's simple ways that we can make a difference around us and share God's love. I, I want to go back to what we said earlier, which was God did things different. Let's do things different. Let's look for for alternative explanations of something that's going on and see if we can help. When we lived in Houston and I was doing youth ministry, 
our group at Christmas wanted to do some great presents for MD Anderson's children's ward. And children and and when I went and talked to them to visit with them, what could we do? They said, you know what we'd rather you do? We'd rather you do gifts to the siblings all year long because the siblings of cancer kids feel very left out. And so we did it differently. And so every month we put together packages to take to be distributed to the siblings. And, you know, so I think that's what we do. We ask questions. We've learned stories of people. And I remember you sharing sometime that you love collecting stories. Well, collect stories that can lead you to action. And that's how we show love. And that's how we keep Christmas alive after December 25th. Many of us have put together some New Year's resolutions. I'm, I don't like doing New Year's resolutions. Um, I don't know if it's the rebel in me or I just don't want to conform to what people expect. But I'm basically like, if you want to make a change, just do it whenever you want. <laughs> but uh, people are thinking about New Year's resolutions. As we're making our way through the new year, if you've made it to today, congratulations, you're three days into your New Year's resolution. <laughs> so you're having a great start because a lot of people don't even make it to this point. Um, but how can we make our resolutions more about loving others than serving ourselves? Because I think oftentimes when we are putting a resolution together, it's about, I want to be healthier. I want to manage my money better. I want, I want, I want, I want to do things that will make my life better. Um, how do we shift that? So I would say maybe uh, we challenge ourselves to set New Year's resolutions that don't start with the word I. And maybe the New Year's resolution starts with the word give. Or the New Year's resolution starts with the word love, which is give something to someone every month that needs something. Love someone that doesn't look like me. Love someone that doesn't live in the area I live in. Love someone who doesn't worship like I do. Find ways to, and start words with start our new new year's resolution with different words because everything we start with when we start it with i first of all we know we don't succeed at it because it's so inwardly focused mm -hmm. but when we start focusing outward something happens inward too and it's pretty incredible and what a great practice to set our new year's resolution and then moving into lent continue it during Lent. And in Lent, often when we choose to give something up, we're doing the same thing we do with the New Year's resolutions. I'm going to give up candy because after all, I need to lose a few weight pounds. I'm going to give up this because, you know, instead of choosing something that's going to make an inward difference. And so that's a good practice. I would challenge all of us. And by the way, I've never done that. I have never set a New Year's resolution that is about others. And I think this might be the year I'm going to do it. Well, because it feels like New Year's resolution, I mean, that's a secular tradition. That's not a Christian tradition. And so it, it feels like, oh, this is my opportunity to focus on myself, which, you know, self-care and mental health is really important. And we need to learn to love ourselves and take care of ourselves. Um, but I think that we just 
we get caught up. I don't know. There has to be a balance, right? I'm really bad at finding balance. I'm an extremist. I go to from one end to the other constantly. Um, but there has to be a balance between like self-care, mental health, and looking outwardly to care for others. There And there's actually a connection. And of course, I am not. You'll have to talk to your father, who is a licensed professional counselor instead of me. But I, I have read and I have seen that there is a connection with mental health and looking outward with mental that your mental health can improve when you're not so focused inward that you're focused on helping others and making a difference hey they've even proven that laughing can make a difference in our mental health and so why don't we put ourselves in in places where we can laugh more and there's a lot of people in our midst that could use some laughter Mm-hmm. There's a lot of people. So maybe that's it. Find someone to laugh with. Find someone to share their story. Find someone to share your table with. There's all kinds of ways that I think we can love differently because that's what we learned from the Christmas story is loving can look different, not the way we always think it should. All right. Let love continue. There you go. Thank you you so much for uh, joining me today. And we'll uh, see you again sometime. See you again sometime. (laughs) I'm not wrapping this up very well. We've done so well. And then I just drew a complete blank at the end. Goodbye, everybody. I'll have you over to dinner sometime. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. The Life Plus God podcast is hosted, written, and produced by me, Alyssa Robinson, and sponsored by Treach Memorial United Methodist Church in Flower Mound, Texas. If you live in the Flower Mound area, I invite you to stop by and see if Treach could be your new church family. You can learn more about all of our programs and events at tmumc.org, and I hope to catch you next week for our next episode of the Life Plus God podcast.